Let me ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 14. We'll read through chapter 5, verse 10. Again, let me just remind us here, the, the great calling of this book, the great calling is to make sure that you see and know and follow Jesus Christ. That's the great purpose of this book here. And so we come to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 14. We'll read through chapter 5, verse 10. Let's hear the word of God, the holy word of God, the true word of God, the good word of God, the beautiful word of God. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you're my son, today I've begotten you. As he says also in another place, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated a, by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. May God bless this word that we have read and heard. Let's pray and ask him to do that even now. Father, you are the source of blessing because you are a great high priest. Show us the beauty of what that means, that we can come before your throne of grace. We can hold fast our confession through to Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. I've had occasion. I've had occasion over the years to speak to friends who were Roman Catholic or Episcopalian or Eastern Orthodox. I've had quite a few conversations at some point. They, if they hear I'm a, I'm a pastor, they ask this follow-up question, but are you a priest? Should I call you father? Are you a priest? And I have to tell them, well, not in the sense you mean. I'm not a priest in the sense you mean. Of course, we believe that we're all priests. But what's funny is that in our church, we actually have the best of both worlds. We have pastors. We have elders, but we have one priest. We have one priest. We have Jesus Christ, our priest. And he knows every single one of y'all 
every single one of us through and through. He is able to be talked with about it. He's the best pastor and he's the best priest. You can go to him all the time. You can talk to him all the time, any day, any night. He is the priest. Our priest's name. And this is what you can tell your friends if they're Catholic. I'm a Catholic if they're Episcopalian. And they say, where's your priest? You can tell them, look, our priest's name is Jesus Christ. That's who he is. Simple. That's how the text opened. You'll see verse 14, chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That's shorthand for the whole life of Christ. He has gone through the heavens. He's been, he's been born, suffered. He's been exalted. He's ascended. He's gone through the heavens. We today have a great high priest, the very son of God. Now, let me just remind you where we've been. Where we're going here in the book of Hebrews. Maybe to belabor the point, but that's okay. We've heard the command back in chapter 3, to consider Jesus Christ as two things. Consider him as apostle and consider him as high priest. And we've been considering up until this point, Jesus as the apostle. Jesus as the apostle of your calling, the one who has been sent. And now, starting right here, all the way through chapter 10, the author says, I'm going to start considering Jesus Christ as the high priest of our calling. As the high priest of our calling. He wants you to consider Jesus. He wants you to follow him. But you have to know who he is. You have to know what it means that he is the high priest. And so as he begins the discussion, he does a little weird thing. He, he does, if I can say this, he preaches a weird sermon in this text. He does it backwards. The pastor, the author, starts with application. He gives you all his application points at the beginning of the sermon. Usually I kind of sprinkle them in or I leave them towards the end. He starts with the application and then he goes on to explain why he's made that application. And we, we usually start with the exposition, the explanation, then go to the application. It's a backward sermon. And I'll give you the application up front in one sense. The simple points here. We get two commands. Look at verse 14. Because we have a great high priest, first application point, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. And if you look down at verse 16, second command, second application, let us draw near to the throne of grace to find mercy and help with confidence drawn here. Two applications. Hold fast your confession. Draw near confidently to the throne of grace. Sometimes when you read a book uh, or you're studying for class, this happened often when I was in school, I would read a few pages and then I would realize, oh, wait, now I understand. I have to go back and read a those old pages. Now I get what they're saying. Now I understand what they're talking about. And so you flip back a few pages and you read and then you're like, oh, it makes sense now. So it is here. So it is here. We're going to talk first about the last half of this section, the exposition, the explanation. And then we're going to get back to these two points, these two application points, holding fast our confession, drawing near the throne of grace. Because otherwise you won't understand why does the author make these points? Why does 
knowing Jesus as our priest, help us hold fast our confession? And why does knowing Jesus as our high priest help us draw near to the throne of grace? So what? We are commanded to do that. What about Jesus? What is it about Christ? And so first, let's look here at the exposition, the, the basic explanation of, of a high priest. You can start, if you want to, really in, in verse 1 of chapter 5. Verse 1 of chapter 5, we see what does the priest need to be? What does the priest need to do? The author goes back to the Old Testament high priest. Not Jesus first, the Old Testament. You'll notice that that's a pattern, by the way, if you've been tracking with us. Very often when the author wants to make a point, he goes back to the Old Testament. He says, what does the Bible say about this? Okay, and now Jesus. Old Testament, Jesus, you. And so it is here. The author thinks back to the Old, the Old Testament high priest, and he finds three major traits of a high priest. Their function, their character, their calling. Their function, their character, their calling. If you want it to be all C's, you could try out confidence. Their confidence, their character, their calling, or their career, if you want that, I suppose. But I'll just say function. Look at verse 1 here, chapter 5. The function of a high priest. What does a high priest do? For every high priest is chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So what's the purpose of a priest? Somebody who is able to forgive your sin. That's the reason for all those sacrifices in the Old Testament. You remember in Leviticus 16, the high point of the whole priestly system, the high point of the Jewish calendar, the Day of Atonement, the high priest having prepared over and over again, having prepared to enter into the Holy of Holies, he would go in and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat and ask God to forgive our sins. That's the purpose of a priest. A priest serves to bring your sin to God so that he might forgive them. So the reason we need a priest, of course, is that we are not able to forgive our own sins. Do you hear that today? You hear this kind of confusing, vague, inspirational psychobabble. Just forgive yourself. Your main problem is that you need to learn to forgive yourself. It sounds sort of comforting, I suppose. But the problem is, it's really clear, if you try it out, you can't do that. You cannot forgive yourself. As I said this morning, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror tomorrow and say to yourself, self, I forgive you. Try it. And the you who looks back in the mirror, yourself, will say, no, you don't. No, you don't. You still feel bad. You still have the consequences. You're still guilty. You have to be kidding me because there's no word of forgiveness that I can speak to myself that will quiet my conscience. I can, you know, paste it over. I can plaster over it. I can put a Band-Aid over it, but I can't deal with the real problem because I don't have the authority to forgive my sins. You don't have the authority to do it either. Try it out the next time you get in trouble. Try saying, oh, I forgive myself. It won't work. Push that nonsense aside. <clears throat> you can find no assurance of forgiveness with that model. It's why 
The best charitable givers, the best philanthropists are consumed with fear and guilt when they are dying. They've tried to give and give and give. They've tried to do good and do good and do good to assuage the fear, assuage the guilt, their conscience. Bill Gates, I guarantee you, apart from Christ, will have a crisis on his deathbed. You can give and give and give and give and give and never solve a thing because he needs what you need. He needs a high priest, somebody who can take his shame, somebody who can take his guilt, somebody who can take his corruption, somebody who can take his pollution, somebody who can take his sin and bring it all to God. That's the calling. That's the function. That's the uh, that, that's the function of, of, a, of a high priest to bring us to God. Second, the character. Look at verse two. The character of the Old Testament high priest. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. The high priest back in the day, they could help a lot with sinners because they were sinners. They could help a lot with your problem because they had problems. They could help with your weakness because they had a weakness. The qualification for a priest is that he needs to be conscious of what weakness feels like. Why is that a qualification? qualification? Why does it matter that a priest is able to sympathize, empathize with the weak? Well, if you've ever had to go to somebody who's self-righteous and they always tell you how wrong you are and they're all metallic and they're all hard, you'll never want to go to him. You'll never want to go to her when you need anything. You don't want to. You want to go to somebody who has a mega heart, somebody who has a big heart, big enough to receive frailty and weakness and failure and guilt. That's actually one of the challenges of being a man of God, a holy man, as people sometimes call me. Those people usually aren't Christian. Uh, A pastor, right? That some people feel pastors will be shocked by hearing sin. I need to tell you, it will be no shock. It would be no shock at all. Parents, you know the problem. This is your problem too. Your kids don't want to come to you when they mess up. And when they do come to you, what's your temptation? The temptation is to use the rod. The temptation is to use harsh discipline. Temptation is to scream. Temptation is to discipline with the rod, then to discipline gently. That's why it's a very moving thing when your kids come to you. You know this, dads. When your kids come to you, they say, Dad, I've messed up. Help me out. Their own volition, they come to you. They say, Help. This is why we have a high priest. Somebody who knows our propensity to sin. Somebody who knows our weakness. You can go and hear, yes, I receive you with gentleness. Function, character, third. Column. Look at verse four, look at verse five. No one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. We have a... This is a side note. We live in a a, a church today, a world today, really, where people take honors for themselves. This is the proliferation of uh, YouTube Christianity, the proliferation of online Christianity, of pastors and apostles, people who anoint themselves, who are given high position by themselves. It's one of the benefits even of uh, a Presbyterian church where 
ministers and elders and deacons are uh, tested and ordained, not by themselves. But when called by God. Why is it so important that a priest be called by God? Well, think about a church. Think about ministers. The last thing a congregation should want is a minister who doesn't think he's called by God. The last thing a pastor should want are Christians who don't think they've been called by God to be Christians. And we need to be sure that our high priest is called by God. Why is that so important? If he's not called by God, how can he forgive sins? If he's not called by God, he has no service. Remember, that that's why in, in our reading in the, in the Gospel of Mark, I think it was last week, the, the sins of the paralytic are healed. And the response is that everyone marvels at Jesus Christ because he has the ability and the calling to forgive sins. They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? And this is what the author of Hebrews is thinking about. He wants to tell you that Jesus Christ fulfills each of these categories. He has the function of a high priest. He has the character of a high priest. He has the calling of a high priest. And he kind of does it in in a little bit of reverse order here. He kind of goes backwards. He does it starting off with calling. Look at verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You're my son, the day I've begotten you. Christ was appointed. As the psalm says, you're my eternal son. The father says, Son, you will serve in this world. This is why one of the reasons why Christ is baptized and the spirit descends upon him in the form of like a dove so that all the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit at the baptism of Christ is declaring, here is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He is equipped for the task. He is equipped for his mission to seek and to save those who are lost. And then immediately he goes into the desert and is tempted right when he's equipped. Then he faces battle. Because Satan knows what's happened now. Jesus Christ was appointed. Verse six, he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We'll get to Melchizedek in, in the weeks to come and give you more detail if you want to know. But the key here simply is to understand that Jesus, like Melchizedek, appears from nowhere. He appears from eternity. He goes to nowhere. He goes to eternity. He is called by God, therefore, not like Levi, not like the priest of the Levites who died, but he ever lives. He lives forever. He is called to be an everlasting and eternal priest. And that is a beautiful thing because human priests come and go. Hundreds of them, they come and go. Jesus is a high priest forever. We have elders they will come and go. We have pastors. They will come and go. We have deacons. They will come and go. We have Christians. They will come and go. You will come and go. But only one priest who never plans to retire. He never, he's never going to take a trip in the mountains. He's never going to go away. He's never going to go to the beach. He's never going to uh, retire. He will be here as long as the rock is here. He fulfills these qualifications because he's been called by God. That's Jesus Christ. You know him. 
Secondly, his character, right? First, his calling. Secondly, his character. The character of Christ fulfills the need of a high priest. Look at verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. When did this happen? In the days of his flesh. Okay, but when? Which day? When did Christ pray in this way? The language here of saving him from death is not saving him from dying. You know, stop him dying. The language means save him through death in resurrection. Save him in passing through the grave and being raised. When did this happen? When did Christ pray in this powerful, intense way? I think we're meant to see here his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. The aching moments when the father presses the cup into the son's hand. Breathtaking moment. Powerful moment. I mean, some of y'all know moments like this in your life where the biological rush is so strong and the seconds of your life feel like hours. Ladies, this may, be, this may have occurred when you gave birth. I don't, I don't know. I can imagine that would be the case, right? It, it feels like such a long time because you're so impacted physically. You feel the pain. You feel the anguish. This is the language used of our Lord in the garden. No wonder there were loud cries. Let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Friends, what we see here is that Jesus Christ has gone down farther than you will ever go down. He has been weak in a way that you will never experience, whether it be in temptation. Do you understand that Christ has resisted temptations that you fail to resist every single day. Recognize that he knows your weakness so much better than you think he does because he has resisted where you give in. If it's sorrow, if it's the sorrow that you've experienced, the heartaches, the pains, the death, the agony, the sickness, the failure, if it's sorrow that you've experienced, Jesus Christ has been more sorrowful He had the weight of the whole world on his shoulders. Or if it's the mystery of what God's doing in your life, simply a mystery of providence. I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know. How's God working in this trial, in this life? I don't know. Jesus has gone down deeper. We heard this morning, my God, my God, why am I forsaken? He cries out, and that's not just a, a fake cry. He does not understand. Why am I forsaken? The mystery of what God's doing in your life. So Christ is able to help you in your weakness. And what's so vital to understand is that he does not help you in your weakness because he has sinned. What is so vital to grasp is that unlike other human high priests, because Jesus has never sinned, He not only is able to help you in your weakness, he has the strength to actually do something. He is not just here to empathize with you, but he has the ability to actually do something. I mean, this is uh, to be simple, right? Guys act and girls empathize, right? Girls feel, guys do. Guys are task-oriented, ladies tend to be more people-oriented. Jesus Christ melds both. 
He is the most empathetic person, and yet he acts to do and to help. And, you know, you can give people encouragement. You can provide a shoulder to cry on. You can pour out your souls to another person. You can be of some help as a Christian, and you ought to be. But Jesus is not like you. He is far better than you. He knows your weakness. He knows your fragility, but he is so strong. He is able to save us to the uttermost. Do you see, friends, that Christ, as your great high priest, has the character for the ministry. He has the calling for the ministry. And he is a complete savior. That the issue about the high priest in the Old Testament, of course, is that he needed the sacrifice to even start ministering. He had to make a kind of pre-sacrifice for his own sin, and then he could sacrifice for your sin. But Christ never has to do that. He is uniquely without sin. He is son of God in our flesh. He is qualified to make himself the sacrifice for our sins. I mean, think about it. The blood of bulls, the blood of goats, is never, it's not even appropriate for the sin of a human being. But the blood of Christ is sufficient once for all our sins. So come. Come tonight. Drink from the fountain that never runs dry. Jesus offers you mercy. He offers you life in boundless supply. This is your Savior. Do you see the beauty of Jesus Christ as your high priest? Well, so we come back to the original question. We come back in light of this exposition of Jesus Christ, this marvelous take on his priestly ministry. Why has the author mentioned two things to keep in mind? Why has the author made these two applications? In light of his greatness, hold fast your confession and then draw near to find mercy. Why? I once had the privilege of getting a barbershop haircut. I was up in New York and I was looking for a haircut and I went to uh, a barbershop. It wasn't in the side of town I used to go to. A little bit nervous, but I went in there and then they, they, you know, use the scissors, they cut the hair and they said, hey, you know, you came in the afternoon, we're having a special, we're here to give you a free neck shave, a free chin shave. I was like, okay, great. It's free. I'll take it. Sure. Why not? And so the barber kind of dabs me with, uh, you know, the whatever it is y'all would know better than I, not the aftershave, but the kind of preparing lotion, the smelling liquid. And then he pulls out his cutthroat razor. And I begin to regret my decision to accept this free neck shave. He puts the razor to my neck and I get a little worried. What if he slips? What if he trips? What if he loses his grip? He looks a little old. What if his hands are to shake? What if he sneezes and the razor just happens to cut? This is why the author of Hebrews says, let us hold fast our confession. Because it is your common experience of the Christian to be under threat of the razors of this world. It is your and our common experience to be under threat of death to prevent us speaking about Jesus Christ. The razors of life come at your throat. It happens every week. It will happen this week to you. I guarantee it. Somebody uses the name of the Lord in vain. 
You're working. What do you do? What did you do? What will you do? You had the chance to make confession of your faith, but you thought, you know what? It's going to be embarrassing. What if I say the wrong words? What if I put my foot in, the, my, my, foot in my mouth? What will happen to me? And here we are told from Hebrews 4, the promise of the Lord Jesus to be a great high priest. Whoever confesses Jesus Christ before men, our Lord says, he will confess before the Father in heaven. He will confess your name before the Father as your high priest. Jesus is saying, Father, Send strength to my little sheep. Father, give them strength to be faithful. Give them strength to be gracious. Give them strength to witness. We are all weak at this point, friends. We are all weak in holding fast to our confession. Some of us are weak because our view of being faithful, a faithful Christian is being a bull in a china shop. And we rampage all over with our Christianity. We take no mind to other people's weaknesses. What does the high priest do? He knows our weaknesses. Sometimes we have no kindness. And yet the author here is saying, your greater problem is not that you lack kindness. Your greater problem is that you lack holding fast. I've mentioned on a couple of occasions, this verb holding fast right here is the verb that was used for sailors in the storm when they had to hold fast to the ropes. I would encourage you, if you ever get to go to the Northeast or you ever get to go out in the Gulf and there's a storm coming, hopefully not a hurricane, Try taking a boat out of there. Try taking a sailboat out there. Try holding fast to the rope of the sails. It's hard. It's hard to hold fast when the winds and the waves are blowing. And the author is saying here, the winds and the waves are coming and you need somebody to help you be a faithful witness. You need somebody to make the good confession. One of John Stott's least known books is Our Guilty Silence. John Stott, you may know, the old Anglican uh, minister over in England, well-loved, well-known. He spoke intelligently about Christ. This is not some weirdo I'm talking about here, not some fringe Christian out in the boondocks. But he tells a story in that book of traveling on a train. And he had to spend the night in the train, and, and there was a guy who was there. He didn't know a stranger. And the stranger dropped his, uh, his toothbrush or something. And the stranger took the name of Jesus Christ in vain. Here is John Stott, who has spoken to thousands of Christians about Jesus Christ, who has done so intelligently, who has done so winsomely, who has done so with gentleness. But he wrestles with this question in the train. Do I say anything? And he didn't. And he, he, was, he was stricken by it. Do you understand that this is something you will experience because you are a Christian. The need to hold fast your confession. And you need a great savior. You need a great high priest to know it's safe to confess Jesus Christ. It's safe to be faithful to him in the week. It's safe to be faithful to him and he will be fruitful in your life as you confess. So hold fast your confession. Grab onto the rope of Jesus Christ. Second area. <clears throat> Second area, of course, is an area where we are very weak. Let us then with confidence draw near 
to the throne of grace. I think the hardest thing there is the confidence. The challenge is for us to draw with confidence to Jesus Christ. Because some of us suffer pain that few know about. Some of us suffer psychological pain. Some of us are tempted in ways that no one else knows. When it comes to Jesus Christ, we are little boys and little girls. And we need somebody we can run into his arms and his heart and just say, Jesus, please help me. We need the confidence to just go to him. It's interesting, of course, that the author says that because we think we have confidence. We think we can just get, get close to him. But we are told here, Jesus Christ will welcome us. His heart is a heart of welcome. He will assure you that your sins are forgiven. He will enable you to find mercy and grace in your time of need. You'll be able to say what uh, the old medieval saint Richard of Colchester said, thanks be to you, Jesus Christ, for all the benefits you have won for us. May we see you more clearly, love you more dearly, follow you more nearly. That's the call of Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 5, following our high priest, loving him more dearly, seeing him more clearly. He will do it as you come to him. Let's pray. Great Father, we thank you that we can pray to you, that we can draw near through our high priest. We marvel at the fact that you give us a high priest who knows our weaknesses, a high priest who is called by you, not by us, but by you, O oh Father, forever, eternal, and a high priest who can and will bring our sins before your throne. And they will be done away with as far as the east is from the west. Bless us this week to hold fast our confession and to draw near to your throne of grace boldly in our time of need. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.